Some of you may remember the movie came out in 2005 called The End of the Spear. Story of the five young missionary men who gave their lives in Ecuador to, uh, to reach the, uh, what were then known as the Aka Indians, have since become known as the Wadani tribe, or as they prefer to call themselves, the people. Uh, incredibly violent tribe, if you know the story. And in the movie, there was that scene uh, that I thought was, was wonderfully played out. Nate Saint was the pilot in the group, and he had been packing his plane for the day that they were going to fly in and, and, uh, and land and make contact with this tribe that they had so long to do. And as he kisses his wife goodbye, you may remember the scene if you saw it. His son Steve is looking through the gear and notices a rifle. And in his concern, he, he asks his dad, if, if the Wadani attack, will you use your guns? Will you defend yourselves? And Nate looked at his boy and, and I think said to him what may be the most profound words in the whole movie. He said, son, we can't shoot the Wadani. They're not ready for heaven. We are. And by the end of that day, Nate Saint and Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming and Jim Elliott were all dead. Murdered by the very people that they longed to bring the gospel to. You, you can't read that story, you can't watch that movie and, and escape emotionally intact. You just can't. You realize that those men could have survived. They could have used their guns. They could have easily warded off their attackers who came at them with, with primitive wooden spears. But they didn't. They chose instead to die. Now, I don't think it would be fair to say that any of them wanted to die. They had wives. The four of, I think four out of the five couples had children. But by refusing to defend themselves, they made the choice to die. Something inside of you just cries out, Why? Why did it end like that? And then you remember, I remember, that it wasn't the end. Maybe just the end of that chapter in God's worldwide redemptive story, but it was the beginning of some incredible stuff in less than two years, we know. Less than two years after their deaths, one of the wives, Elizabeth Elliot, with her little girl, Valerie, and Rachel Saint, who was Nate's sister, were invited by the Wadani people to move into their village and to live with them. The tribe who some at the time believed, uh, some, some believed to be the, the, the most violent in the world saw a 90% drop in homicides over the next 20 years of ministry there. Many of the family were involved in working with the tribe and they saw many followers come to Christ. Nate Saint's son Steve and his family lived with the Wadani for many years. And in fact, the, the man who killed his father, Minkaya, actually baptized Steve Saint. Boy, if you want to spend some time weeping, and I think everybody ought to, once in a while, Amen. in regards to the kingdom and this kind of stuff, 
go to YouTube and just click on some of the videos that are there that show Steve Saint and his family and the Wadani people together. It's just mind-boggling. One of the other men who also participated in those killings, many years later, as he approached 80 years of age, he would often speak of going to heaven to live peacefully with the five men who came to tell him about his creator, God. Oh, man. He just, yeah, you'll be an emotional wreck. Do it. Misery needs company in this case. You know, in following the death of those men, there was an unprecedented number in the 20th century, an unprecedented number of Christians who became missionaries. Signed on and said, God, send me. One comment that I read about Jim Elliott was that he had always longed for more people to become missionaries. His death was a catalyst for that very thing. When you read about these five men and their wives, you learn that they, they were not great people by the standards of, of greatness in our culture. They weren't special necessarily in terms of their gifts and their abilities, but, but they had caught a vision for what God was doing in his world, what God wanted to do in his world, and that changed everything for them. They wanted to be a part of God's redemptive work, no matter what. I share that story with you this morning because I believe that partnering with God in his redemptive work in the world is is really what we are called to as, as his people. And it's, it's really, I think, what's at the heart of, of our fifth healthy missional marker this morning as we continue this journey looking at, at the ten markers that churches can use, probably ought to use more often than they do, to just do some assessment and say, well, how are we doing in this, this mission that God has given us, this journey that we call ourselves Applewood Community Church? Uh, there are some, some measures Heather, can we put the, uh, the marker on the screen this morning? Global perspective and engagement is the name of this marker. And we raise the sights of our members beyond our congregation and community by developing a biblical worldview, often pray for and reference global matters. We have identifiable pathways to support the cause of Christ Globally, our our people are equipped and growing in their ability to participate in the global dimensions of our ministry. The global dimensions of our ministry. What, What God is doing in his world. Now, true confession. When I first read that, I thought something along the lines of, wouldn't it have been a whole lot simpler to just say we support and are involved in missions. But I realized it's, it's more than that. I realize there's, the, there's a lot more that is at stake in this statement for us as a congregation. If, if we want to, to measure up 
to what this marker is calling us to. I think to say that it's just about mission involvement might be too simple. And honestly, it, it, can, let, it can let us off the hook. Can I say it that way? You know, God hasn't called me to the jungles of Ecuador. Personally, I think the most important line in this statement is one about developing a, a biblical world view. Are we doing that here at Applewood? Are, are we as God's people growing in, stretching in our understanding of what God is doing in this world? I think the development of a biblical worldview causes us to think about an important question, how do we see the world in which we live? How do we see the world in which we live? N.T. Wright suggests that there are a number of questions that, that any worldview needs to address. And among them are these, who or what are we? What does it mean to be a human being? Is there such thing as morality, right and wrong? If so, what is its basis? And, and how does one know the good and the bad? We determine between them. And I love this one. He says, a worldview needs to address the question, what is wrong with us? Something is off. You don't have to be a casual observer to, you know, to, to, to notice that. What is it? Is there a solution? Can things be fixed? By whom? How? How quickly? Is there a God? If so, can this God be known? And is this God involved in the world, especially relative to human suffering? What happens to a human being at death? And you know, and how a person answers those questions really shapes, I think, the course and the, the direction of their life, or at least it should. For the believer, we know that, that Scripture gives us answers to questions like that. It, it, and it, for, it informs a, a worldview that, that I think really should push us to, to be people who are interested in a global perspective and, and deeper engagement of the world. And I think deeper engagement specifically in, in what... God is doing in his world. You know, if we start with that premise that God is the creator and we believe that and we believe that this world is his, that everything that, that we see in the created world beyond and into the universe, if we believe that God is the one who brought that into existence, that's going to then shape how we understand the world and the universe. What it's there for. What is the point? What is it saying about God? And, and are we hearing that? So this morning we're going to turn to a text that we have looked at before together. It's Found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think it's a, it's a profound text in its challenge to, to our thinking about 
this topic, God's world and, and our response, global perspective and, and our engagement. Paul wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. It was, it was located in Greece. It was a Roman colony. It was the capital of a province that was known as Achaia. And it was a city of quite significant social, cultural, and religious diversity. In other words, it was a place that was a whole lot different than where Paul had grown up. It was a place that was significantly different in terms of its, its thinking and, 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 and lifestyle that flowed out of that thinking from the world that Paul had grown up in. Lots of different people groups and beliefs that were represented in Corinth. And from what we read in Paul's two letters to Corinth that we have, what we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians, it was a very challenging place for the church to put down roots and to grow. So let me start off with Paul's words, just a, a paragraph or two of what he writes that leads us into our text that I want us to read together this morning. Listen closely to what Paul says here. He says, since then we know what it is to to fear the Lord. We try to persuade people. And what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. We have a sense from this letter that, that there, was, there was sort of some targeted criticism towards Paul and, and Apollos and some of the other leaders and uh, ridicule for the things of faith, putting their faith and their confidence in things that, that cannot be seen. And, and who's Paul anyway? Um, so those kinds of things... I think are in the background of them wanting to try to persuade people and give the Corinthians an opportunity to to take confidence in them again and to, to be proud of them. He goes on to say this, for Christ's love compels us. You could paraphrase that and say, Paul might say something like, you think I want to be here? You think I want to be doing what I'm doing? You think this is fun for me? You know, the persecutions and the beatings and the hardships and, you know, the disrespect. It's Christ's love that compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul's saying some amazing things there. That it was Christ who died for lost humanity and that those then who choose to follow Christ will no longer live for themselves, but they will live for for Christ. Okay, let's stand together and read the rest of the text. Here we go. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, 
The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You ever think of yourself as an ambassador for Christ? One who has a message from a different place, from a different kingdom, from a different country? Ambassadors for Christ. Heather, can we put that statement up about, uh, or the slides, excuse me, about significant truth statements? Here's what goes into making us ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this message. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Guess what anyone means? Anyone. Yeah, anyone. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Do you know some folks for whom you wish that couldn't happen? Paul did. What they were is no more. God changes them. It is God who does this. All this is from God, who is a reconciling God. All this is from God. This is God's idea from start to finish. He reconciled us through Christ and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciled us through Christ, the death of his son on the cross, and a result of putting our faith and our confidence in him then makes us the recipients of the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we go around through our lives saying, guess what happened to me? It can happen to you too. Reconciliation means that God does not count people's sins against them. God does not count people's sins against them. Bother you at all? We are Christ's ambassadors of this amazing truth. Amazing truth of what, of what God has done for us in Christ. And I think it's, it's all of these statements that are filtering in to this one statement that Paul says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Heather, can we put that one up as well? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Based on what God has done for us, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So, Here's what I want you to ask your neighbor. Just take a minute. 
What is a worldly point of view? And what are some of the ways that we regard people in that way? What do you think? What's a worldly point of view? And how do we make people fit into that? Okay, we ready? What's a worldly point of view? What do you think? Okay, seeing people as competitors. Okay, versus seeing them as the image of God. Quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. What else? Similar to what Steve was saying about, you know, the, the competition, that could be a competition for, our, you know, our, our, our view of salvation. Because this person is wrong in what they view, I value them less. I forget that they are created in the image of God, as am I. Anything else? A person being their, their own authority, taking the, the position of, of God in their own lives. That autonomy. Anything else? Absolutely. Yeah. It's really hard, isn't it? There, there are certain people groups, there are certain places, there are certain examples that I think really push us in this. It's, it's natural for us as human beings to, to assign people to categories based upon criteria, whether it's wealth, education, appearance, color, ethnicity, religious affiliation, political affiliation, uh, categories of, of, of activities that they participate in that, that, that I don't or that I don't approve of. And, and based upon that category and our particular comfort or discomfort with it, we will respond to those persons accordingly. Here's the group that I thought of, Gary. Who among us hasn't been thinking a whole lot about the ISIS group these days? When you hear the word ISIS, when you think about that group, what's your response? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm suspicious that your response is, is not all that charitable. One of concern, fear, hatred, anger disgust, perhaps all of them mixed together. And, and there is no doubt, brothers and sisters, there's no doubt that, that ISIS is doing great evil. Oh, they are. But in our thinking about that organization, and this is where I find the Spirit challenges me often, do we, do we think of, of individuals who make up that organization Individuals who are lost and broken. Individuals who are in need of reconciliation with the Lord Jesus Christ. People who could be new creatures. People who, let's be honest here, perish the thought God would not count their sins against them. Is something that just kind of, kind of sickens your spirit about that. I think if we are not intentional about remembering whose world this is, who God is, and what He has called us to then our, the, our, our view of the kingdom of God can become way too small and, 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 and very 
self-focused or self-absorbed. It is, it is easy to forget that it's God's world. It's easy to forget that, that He loves all the people of His world. And that His Son died for some of the hideous actions and atrocities that we hate. And that God is actively pursuing reconciliation with people of all kinds, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what their reputation is. Theologically speaking, here's the reality. Apart from the grace of God that has reached our hearts and reconciled us to Himself, we are no different than ISIS before a holy God. We just aren't. We don't do the things that they do, but apart from salvation in Christ, we are as condemned as they are. There are no degrees of sinfulness to God, nor are there degrees of difficulty for Him in reaching those who we deem most sinful. And perhaps even most unworthy. To be a people who have a global perspective and engagement in that world means that we are big kingdom people. We are people who, who believe in a big God. We are a people who believe that God is at work bringing reconciliation and redemption. We believe that the kingdom of God is vast and that it's diverse that it goes way beyond the borders of, of our own country. And, and it penetrates into the places in the world that we might think of as, as really dark and, and even hopeless. You know, when those couples went to Ecuador in the 50s and they pursued contact with the Wadani tribe, they, they were well aware of the barbaric reputation that those folks had. They were all aware of the danger that was inherent in making contact with that people group. But they saw them as people who needed to be reconciled to God. They saw them as people who didn't need to have their sins counted against them because Christ had taken those sins upon himself. They refuse to view the Wadani through a worldly point of view. On July 4th, 1854, a man by the name of Charlie Peace, a well-known criminal in London, was hung. And when he was marched to the gallows, an Anglican priest was reading these words from the prayer book. Those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. And when these words were read, historians tell us that, that, that Charlie P. stopped in his tracks. He turned to the priest and he shouted in his face, Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? And the priest was taken back. He, he kind of stammered and... And he said, well, I, I suppose I do. Well, I don't, said Charlie. But if I did, 
I'd get down on my hands and knees and crawl all over Great Britain, even if it were paved with pieces of broken glass, if I could rescue one person from what you just told me. Paul writes that we are Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors take messages and goodwill to others from their country, from their leaders. We have a message from the kingdom of God where we are citizens to the inhabitants of earth's kingdoms, all different kinds and shapes and varieties of of kingdoms. And the truth is that some of those kingdoms are a whole lot nicer and friendlier to God's people than others. But the message needs to go out. Jesus didn't say, go to the nice places. He said things like, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. To dark, scary, lonely, forgotten kinds of places. And my friends, here's the thing. If, if you don't take anything else home with you this morning, remember this. The message of reconciliation, it's happening in the world, everywhere, in the most amazing places. God is doing it. And God is using his people in ways that are just stunning. He has his people everywhere. First Sunday in November, some of you will know that it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church in the world. We're going to see a DVD on that Sunday. It's called A Mother's Prayer. Mind-boggling. The strength and the courage and the grace that God is giving to his people in some of the darkest places. Two of my favorite quotes regarding the kingdom of God. One comes from Stanley Arawas of Duke University. He says, it's hard to remember that Jesus did not come to make us safe, but rather to make us disciples, citizens of God's new age, a kingdom of surprise. Amazing what God is up to in his world. Indeed, full of surprises. Jeff Packer. I love this one. If you've ever heard J.I. Packer, he's, he's very proper. Needs to be said loud and clear that the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, there ain't no comfort zone and there never will be. All right, so don't laugh at me for the simplicity of this statement. Well, you can laugh. You probably will anyway. But, but here's the truth. Are you ready? Global perspective starts with remembering that there is a globe. That there is a world out there. That it is enormous. That it's far bigger and its borders go way beyond our city and our state and our country. And and did you know that that globe is filled with people? To be precise, 7.125 billion of them of which only 316 million live in this country. 
That's a lot of people. When we think in terms of global perspective and engaging this world as ambassadors for Christ and his kingdom, again, I I told you my thought was, why don't we just speak of it in terms of missions? And yet the reality is, is that God doesn't call all of us abroad. It could be that he calls more of us than want to admit. But the reality is he doesn't call all of us abroad. And so if we are not those who are called abroad, who find themselves in the midst of another culture as ambassadors for Christ, then then how do we grow our global perspective? How do we engage? Let me just give you four, I think, really simple ways to do it. First one is this. Read. For pity's sake, read. Start reading more about what God is doing in the world through His people. You won't find that in the news. You're going to have to go to the internet. You're going to have to look at Christian materials and Christian news mags. God is at work in His world. And it will grow your perspective on the kingdom of God and the awesomeness of God and what He is doing in the world. And you know, and here's the other thing that I find that global perspective does for me. I complain about where I live a whole lot less. It's true. Man, you read about what folks are dealing with and suddenly you look around and say, now what was it again that I complain about? Read. Start growing your global perspective. Read. What's God doing? Beyond the local news and the weather, I never thought I'd be all that thankful for the internet. You know me, Mr. Technology. But it's an amazing treasure. Let God amaze you through what he's doing to reconcile people to himself. And, 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 and as you read and as you learn and as you grow and as you read about what God's people who live in Syria are doing for the kingdom, let that move your heart to do the next thing and that is, that is pray. And I don't mean just, you know, pray, Lord, be with them. Lord, keep them safe. You know, they don't even pray that. Voice of the Martyrs, one of my favorite organizations, you will find very rarely, if ever, do they exhort God's people in the world to pray for the safety of God's people who are living in unsafe places. They pray, give them courage. Give them boldness for Christ. Give them faithfulness to the message. Pray. And this is really the first step, I think, of, of engagement. We read and we, we ask God to, to grow our perspective on his world and his kingdom. And then we pray and that begins to engage us with organizations that are, that are working in these places where so many folks are in great, great struggle. You know, and, and it occurs to me that, that someday, even though we don't know, some of those people, although some of the organizations will give you their first names, you get to spend eternity with brothers and sisters, getting to know them. Third word, give. You read, you pray, you give. It's more engagement. And I don't know what that looks like. You have to decide that. Prayerfully ask the Spirit of God to direct you. Where can you give? 
Should you give? How much can you give? How often can you give? As a follower of Christ, it isn't your money anyway, so you probably ought to ask him what he wants you to do with it. Me included. Ask him how he would have you use it to further his kingdom. And fourth, and of course this is the ultimate, and it's the one that probably we all fear the most, go, oh my goodness, please Lord, anywhere but there. Go. Nothing will grow your love and excitement for the kingdom of God like going and experiencing what he is doing in his world. I wish Applewood Community Church had a mission trip every month. I do. Twelve times a year. How many of us would go and have our worlds just rocked with the amazement of God and the size of his kingdom? Ask the ladies who came home from Ecuador if their world was rocked again. I love Dee's response. I emailed her this week and I said, so how are you doing physically? Have you recovered? I'm sure you're never going to recover emotionally. And her response back to me was, I hope I never do. I hope I never do. Praise team, come on up and prepare to lead us as we respond this morning. Brothers and sisters, it's such a big kingdom. It's such an exciting place that God calls us to live. But but here's the thing. If we don't get out of the self-preservation mode and the self-protection mode and really throw ourselves into the hands of the God who has reconciled us to himself, who put his son on the cross to pay for our sins, therefore not counting our sins against us, if we don't really begin to engage that in more ways than just up here in our noggins, but somehow asking the Spirit of God to bring that to a place where it begins to change us, if we never get there, we'll never experience global engagement and global perspective the way that God calls us to, and the way that he wants us to experience. Father, may, oh, may your spirit give us courage. For some of us, it's just going to be to read some stuff that we've never read before. We need courage for that. Because it's hard to read about the hurt and the pain in other places of the world, and yet, oh, Amazing to, to see what you're doing in your people. And, and uh, for others of us, we need to pray more faithfully. We need your help with that. It's more than just bless them and do this and do that. It's, it's caring enough to really uphold your people and your causes where, where they're really critical. And, and Father, we, we can always give more. And, and you know that, that there's something in us that is, is afraid of of giving away our stuff. Would your spirit open us to those possibilities? And, and ultimately, maybe you want to call more missionaries from Applewood Community Church. Wouldn't that be a legacy for the next 20 years? God's people bravely following the leading of the spirit to places where he takes them. For the sake of Jesus, we pray.